Okay, let me pray. <clears throat> Lord, we, uh, we, we pray for this great task that we have as, as parents, whether our kids are, are younger or older, uh, whether many or few. Um, Lord, we, we view this as a stewardship we want to handle well, and so I pray, uh, give, us, give us wisdom, insight, help us to see ourselves and to see your word. Uh, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as we continue to march through this class, we, we had spent uh, a couple weeks on discipline, and then a panel on discipline, and we talked last week about parenting that provokes, and now moving into a, a new unit that will take the next few weeks, we'll be talking about uh, instruction, basically the, the, the teaching side of this. So the classic parenting verse of Ephesians 6, 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger. We looked at that part last week, this provoking but bring them up in the discipline. We talked about discipline for a few weeks already, uh, but discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're looking at this instruction piece. How do we, how do we teach our kids what they need to know? It's not totally distinct from discipline. Even the discipline is an instructing discipline, a correcting, a teaching discipline. Uh, and, and yet there is a, a specific emphasis we see here and throughout Scripture on the burden on parents to teach. So we see it here. Uh, we see it in Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 9. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on, on your heart. So it starts as, as parents with us having God's word on, on our own hearts. You shall teach them, that is, these words, diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. When you lie down, when you rise up. In other words, in structured ways, as you're sitting, you're sitting around the dinner table, but also just as you, you go on walks and you're putting them to bed at night. We're constantly in a teaching mode in one sense. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead, I meaning you're not getting away from it. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This, this teaching is to be formal and informal and is to be just a part of our routine and our lives as parents. And so today, we'll be focusing on the, on the why and the what of this instruction. Why? Why are we to do this? Why are we as, as parents to do this as opposed to various other means of instruction? So why and what are we to pass on, although really you could say like all of Scripture, but but want to narrow that in a little bit. And then next week, Lauren will pick up with more of the how. How do you practically do this? What does it look like in a home? Uh, how does this happen formally and informally? And then the following week, we'll have another panel where we'll be focused on that. We had one panel about discipline. We'll have another panel primarily focused on instruction, although it can range beyond that as well. So, so today, I said mostly on the why and the what. If your questions are mostly about how, uh, be patient. Um, we'll get to that. We'll have a little bit of that here, but it's mostly going to be the why and the, the what. So sort of on the, the why side of things. Parents need to realize that if they don't teach their children, then someone else will. Uh, kids will be taught uh, one way or another. In the book of Proverbs, it displays this in some kind of vivid ways. Proverbs chapter 1, the, the font's kind of small here, so hopefully you can see it okay. But if you, 
You just need to jot it down. It's Proverbs 1, 8 to 15. It says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. So it's parents pleading with their children, saying, listen, listen. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. Meaning this teaching can be like a, a graceful ornament decorating your life. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait of blood, or for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow the, all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot for us. We will have one purse. He says, there's another group that's going to try to teach you. And in this case, it's these, it's these almost sounds like gang violence, basically, this, this, this other group of voices that are going to entice them uh, into sin. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. And so I want to ask you this question. What are some things that if, if you don't teach your kids these things, somebody else will and probably not the message you want them to hear? What, what are some things that come to mind in that category? If you don't teach them, somebody else will and probably not the message you want them to hear. What do you think of? Yeah, Brian. How to treat others. Yeah. Yeah, they'll see that modeled one way or the other. They'll be told, but will you be teaching them? Yeah. Who they're created to be. Yeah. What, what do you mean by that? Because there's a couple ways I can take that. And both are true. Yeah, their identity. Yeah. What, what has God made you to be? Who are you as a male, as a female? I mean, any, any number of ways we can take that, but who are you really? Yeah, good. What else comes to mind? Okay. Yeah, how to defend your identity, how to stand up and say no in a way that's, that's clear and brave and gracious and all these things. That takes wisdom. Yeah, good. Yeah, Lauren. Yeah, respect for authority or the lack thereof. How do you view, how do you treat authority? There'll be a message from the culture on that. There'll be a message from other kids. There'll be a message from the media. Might not line up, probably won't line up with our biblical view of authority. What else comes to mind? Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, body image. There's all sorts of, of language teaching, even if you just think of Instagram, uh, on, on body image for men and women both, but especially young women. Yeah. Yeah, good. Anything else? Yeah, Kristen. Purity. Yeah, purity. What are God's expectations? Why? What is the line? How do you wisely not approach that line? I and mean, there's all sorts of things there that, that, again, they will get other messages from other places. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. What or who to worship? Yeah, great. Yep. Yeah. Jess. Yeah, how to cope with hardship. They will get messages from the culture on that, lived out in examples of everything from substance abuse to... Ignoring it to suppressing it. I mean, there's all, all sorts of things versus kind of a biblical approach of working through hardship. Yeah. Yeah, so any topic we can think of, basically, they will get messaging from friends, from school, from media, from music. And some of that is going to align with your values. They might have an awesome teacher at a public school, but some might not. Some, some friendships, they might be raised in a similar environment, have similar values. Some, some might not. And so there will be messaging, there will be teaching. Um, 
if we don't provide it, somebody else will. And even if we do provide it, they'll still be getting other voices. We just have to help them work through it. So if that's our responsibility as parents, and we see some of these passages, and we also see teaching as a function of the local church. We see people with the gift of teaching, and maybe they're teaching kids in a Sunday school class, or in junior church, or youth group. Uh, There's small groups they might get involved with. There's Awana. Uh, There's junior church from the time they're young. There's all these various ways that the church can provide that too. But how do those two fit together? How does a local church partner with parents in the instruction of their kids? Uh, I'm going to ask a few questions here, and you can answer any of them. How does that work together, parents in a local church? What role do parents still play, and what are some wrong ways to view that? What are some ways that that partnership gets skewed sometimes? So, a few questions here. You can answer any of those you want. How does that work together? Uh, what responsibility do parents still have? How does that go wrong sometimes? What do you think? Yeah, Kristen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it needs to be a reinforcement. What they're hearing on Sunday morning, youth group on Wednesday nights, we're thinking of teenagers, it needs to be a reinforcement of what they're hearing at home, not like a replacement for that. Yeah, yeah good. Anybody else want to speak to that? Yeah, Liz. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so for junior church, Sunday school, things like that, the kids bring home uh, a, a, a little handout or something, and it shows what they were taught and maybe some follow-up questions to ask. And that's a way to reinforce and to just be informed. What are they, what are they learning there? Yeah, because ultimately that responsibility still falls on parents to know what they're being taught and to help them in that. What else? Can you think of any other ways that those go together or can sometimes be skewed and go wrong? speak to that just a little bit. Um, so there's a responsibility given to parents primarily as far as disciplining, instructing their kids. And then we see churches teaching, not young and old. And so there's a responsibility in one sense for, for church body to be discipling, teaching, instructing. Uh, but those ought to be yeah, partnering. Uh, some, I think the most often way that it goes wrong is is a parent that just wants to outsource all of that to the church. So God has never talked about at home. Bibles are never opened at home. You're not talking about what you learned at church unless it's to be critical, right? Maybe of what what was said or something, but you're not talking about what they're learning there. Uh, And and then kids learn that Jesus is kind of a slice of my life on Sundays, maybe Wednesdays, but it doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of my my week. Um, And so that's... That's a wrong approach. Um, you could maybe argue that somebody could go too far the other way and what ends up just being like a, an isolated home church that basically is not a church, it's just like a family, right? And, and they're separated out from the broader body of Christ 
and they're missing out on the gifts of other people and, and an outreach mentality. That can happen. I think far more often, though, we see the other category of outsourcing, not taking response, responsibility. And, and honestly, if there's kind of a spectrum there, I'm much more concerned about the parents that lead to the side of, of outsourcing versus the parents that are maybe unwilling to kind of let others have voices in their kid's life because often those are parents who are significantly investing in their own kids. And, and that is, if you're going to err on one side or the other, if that's even you know, kind of a helpful way to view it, erring on that side of I'm going to own this for my kids um, is going to be best, best for your kids. But really we want to see a partnership that's happening in a healthy way. Parents are owning it. They're taking primary responsibility. They're cooperating with the local church. They're serving in a local church. They're aware of what the kids are being taught. They're reinforcing it. Uh, that's going to be in the best, the best uh, model for, for kids in their, in their growth. All right, so, so if that's a little bit on the, the, the why, this burden given to parents, I want to talk a little bit about the, the what. And, and this could be as broad as Scripture itself. And we've already sort of brainstormed some of these things. I want to just give you a few categories. And these are kind of big categories, but to be thinking about when I think about, okay, what, what during these years I have with my kids, what do I want to be committed to teaching them? What are some, some things there? And so I'm just going to give you a few, although, of course, we could, we could expand this out. We want to teach them to value truth. This is something that God values. Obviously, we can think of a verse like 1 Timothy 2.4. God who desires all men to be saved, there's a desire for all to come to know him and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God values truth. Uh, we want to value truth. We want to teach our kids to value truth. Um, we live at a time when, when truth is maybe devalued and uh, other things are, are placed above it. Um, and yet, yet truth is, is important. What's really real? What's really real about our identities? What's really real about how God's world works? About who he is? About what's true of other people? So we can maybe think of this in some smaller categories as well. God's commands. We want to teach kids to, to value what God has commanded as true and not to equate any type of commands with, with legalism. We, we need to have a distinction between what is just simply a heart to obey in the way that First John has been talking about versus a legalism that says I'm going to earn my way to God by my obedience or I'm going to build around the simple commands of God. I'm going to build all these layers in a way that can end up being legalism. We want to teach, teach kids to see the truth in God's commands. And a passage we'll see coming up in 1 John, but in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 17, or 15 to 17, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful part of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. This world is passing away and also all its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. In 1 John, we've seen over and over again this emphasis on obedience, not as a means to save a person, but as an evidence that they have been saved. And so we want to 
be clear on the gospel, and we'll see that here in a minute with our kids, but, but also to help them see that there's boundaries that God has placed in our world, and we want to, we want to value those things. Uh, Paul Tripp, in, in an excellent book on parenting older kids, The Age of Opportunity, it says, clear boundary issues are situations that involve the plain commands of Scripture, the call to speak the truth, to honor father and mother, to not steal or commit adultery or fornication, all examples. There's commands, we'd say are boundary things that we want to be teaching kids. Uh, and yet there's also another category we might call wisdom. So we want kids to know what God's Word says in crystal clear terms. Uh, and yet there's also some things that, that Scripture maybe doesn't speak to with perfect clarity that we need wisdom. The whole book of Proverbs is really teaching us wisdom. This would be one of, of many passages that says the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. And on and on he goes. In verse 12 he talks about how wisdom will deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. Um, there's a category of commands in Scripture, and then there's a category of helping our kids grow in wisdom. And Paul Tripp, again, in Age of Opportunity, he speaks to that. He says, as important as biblical conviction is, and as important as it is to pay attention to the boundary issues, a believer spends most of his time grappling with, with wisdom issues. He lives a basically obedient life, but a life in which there are myriad situations where he needs wisdom. That is, he needs to apply the principles, perspectives, themes of Scripture so that his practical everyday decisions express God's will for his life. In these situations, he needs wisdom because there is no clear, thus says the Lord, issue there. So I want to ask you, see if we can kind of come up with some of these things together. What are some things that might not be clear commands where you can take somebody to a passage and says, this is specifically what God's word says and there's no debate on it. What are some things where it's not that, but it's, it's wisdom. And we want kids to value wisdom and we want to, to help them pursue wisdom. In them. What, what type of categories or issues of life come to mind for that? Think of anything? Yeah, Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah, so, so many things like that. What, should I go to college? Should I get this degree? If so, yeah, what degree? Where? Is it wise to marry this person? Should I move here? All those are wisdom things. Absolutely. Yeah, Lauren, you started to say something to do. Modesty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Scripture will have some principles about modesty and purity and things, but how does that live it out in the present cultural moment we're in? What does that look like? That is a wisdom thing. Yeah. How you spend your time. Yeah. Wisdom things. So many different things we could do with our time. Some that are good, some that are bad, that are kind of commands, but then in the middle there's a whole range of things that are just, like, is this wise right now? Yeah, how to approach dating and courtship and long-term relationships. Yeah, a lot of commands about marriage and what marriage is like. The path to get there often takes wisdom. Yeah, anything else come to mind? I think of so many personal finances, getting a job, 
There's commands about work and the virtue of work and, and yet like how to go about that, how to figure out a wise... I mean, those are, those are wisdom things. And so we want to... We don't, we don't want to overspeak and make everything a command thing when kids look at it and say, well, Dad, that's just like, Scripture doesn't say that. But, so we want them to have another category that is wisdom that we can process through with them to kind of prepare them for life. We can think in terms of boundaries. We see this sort of within uh, the commands and, and, and wise living. You think of Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. There might be some boundaries that we set up with kids that are based on commands, but wisdom applied. Like you're not going to find a command that says, hey, don't be out with your girlfriend at midnight. Sure is a wise principle and an application of commands about purity, right? And so helping Kids see the virtue and the value of boundaries, so they're not making provision for the flesh. So Proverbs 5.8, speaking to a young man tempted in the issue of, of uh, sexual sin, and he says, keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. There's nothing wrong inherently with walking in front of the door of this woman's house, but he says, you walk in front of her door, and you're going to be tempted to go in in this situation he's warning about. So he's saying, don't go in front of the door. That is a boundary thing. So helping kids see that there are wise boundaries that aren't legalism, but it's just your family's application of this to try to help them to not put themselves in these situations. So we might have a boundary uh, that we, this is one we would have of no cell phones in the bedroom. Uh, No cell phones in the bedroom. Uh, In fact, no cell phones after a certain time of night. Uh, Is that a thus saith the Lord thing? It's not. But we think it's a wise boundary based on commands that are there about purity and a handful of other things. So it can be boundary things. Also just results. So much of wisdom talks about if you do this, this will happen. How, For example, Psalm 1, which is a, it's a wisdom psalm in many senses, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does he prospers. And he goes on to contrast that with the man who does not do that. It's looking at results, for good and for bad, reaping and sowing. And so... Teaching kids in this broad category of truth that they live in God's world. And there's things that God has commanded. There's wise ways of living within his world. There's boundaries that we want to put on behavior that help to live out those convictions. And, and there's going to be consequences one way or the other. And uh, Lauren's done a really good job as he's taught on various things of helping us not always protect our kids from consequences because those consequences can teach and that's what this idea of these results are. So when consequences happen that you see as a logical outcome of those behaviors, to help them see that in those moments, to see that it's because they live in God's world, and this is the way his world works. So one category we want to have is to help them think in terms of truth. Another category, again, in the what 
of teaching. So next week we'll talk more about the how, but in the what, things we're consistently told is both to love the Lord and teach our kids to love the Lord. So again, we, we already saw this a few moments ago in, in Deuteronomy, but to come back to it, Deuteronomy 6, 5-6, to You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you shall be on your heart. So you model that, and you're teaching it. So not, not just, we need to obey God, we need to go to church, we need to do these things, but God, we want to love Him because He has loved us. That's not... Separate from obedience, Jesus himself says, uh, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments to help them see in kind of tangible ways what it is to love the Lord. Introduce the next one. Unless Any comments or questions on this? I'll have maybe more on the next one. Okay. Another category we might have is worship, teaching them to worship. So thinking of kind of these blocks we're building, we live in a world of truth, it's God's truth. We don't want to just rotely obey, in fact we can't rotely obey, we want to love God and we want to worship Him. I don't need to convince you that this runs through Scripture, but Psalm 96.9, worship the Lord. Worship the Lord in holy attire, tremble before Him, all the earth. We want to raise kids that are worshipers. When your life is shaped, this is Paul Tripp again, uh, when your life is shaped by the worship of God, you live with his plans and purposes in, in view. Worship is it's more than musical worship. It's, it's all of life live for the good and glory of God. But it is most tangibly expressed in musical worship. When we, when we gather, that's what often we think of because we are gathering and we are singing to worship God, to to praise God. So let's, let's kind of pause and think about that for a moment. How can parents be involved in helping their kids learn to worship? Even if we use that term in just the narrowest sense of musical worship, singing and praising God, how can parents be involved in helping to teach their kids to do that? What do you think? What are some things that parents can do to help reinforce and teach kids to worship Julie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so in that broader sense of worship, teaching our kids to just thank God for things that come up and, and recognize God's goodness and just everyday blessings. Absolutely, that helps them to, to develop that mindset. Good. Yeah, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Having background music on—that's like good worship music. Yeah, you mentioned Gettys, or I can't remember who else you said. Sovereign Grace—is that? Yeah, yeah. People that are putting out good music and just having it on in the background of the home, so kids are learning the songs that way. Yeah, Andrew. I think it's a great example. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great example, you're right, of they don't learn just from what you teach them, but from what you do. Yeah. So we want, us, want kids to see you worshiping. And, and they're with them, which is actually one of the reasons we have a conviction of not starting junior church until at least after a couple songs. Because even little kids, we want them in the service, worshiping with their parents, seeing their parents like, oh, my dad is singing to this song. And 
And so they learn that it's not just something kids do. It's not just something that, you know, it's, it's like my family is, is worshiping, and they're learning the same songs that you are. So it, in some ways it would be more convenient to start junior church at the very beginning of service, so those spots, those seats especially, are, you know, they're, they're empty at the beginning because kids are already in there, but we intentionally have decided, you know, we're going we're gonna to stick with a little bit of that hassle because we want them in here worshiping with, with parents. So, yeah, Tara. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, hearing scripture read and playing that in the background. And there's many good apps. Yeah, the, I think it's the, is it the ESV Bible app that has some different voices that are particularly compelling. Yeah. Good. Anything else comes to mind when I think of worship? Yeah, Jess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Right. Yeah. Right. No, that's great. Yeah, Jess was saying that with, with teenage kids, uh, thinking of and, and finding good music that maybe they relate to more than, than music that might be Jess's preference, um, but it's containing good truth. Yeah. Think of just, just some other things to consider. Uh, we post the songs that we're going to sing on Sunday morning. They're posted in an email, on our website, on Facebook, Instagram, on YouTube, all these different places by, by Friday. And you can, you can go ahead of time and, and you can look. And we don't do this every week, but some weeks with our kids, we'll bring up, like, what are the songs we're going to sing? And, and if they already know them, they'll you know, be excited to have them come. Or if there's a song they don't know, we go onto YouTube and we click on it so that they can hear it, so that they kind of are anticipating it. And they're, they're being taught at home the same songs. Uh, we've had... Times, again, not, not all the time, but at times where we'll uh, teach different hymns to our kids at home and, and sing through. We've, we've talked about here doing like a, we, we haven't implemented this yet, but we've considered, should we do like a hymn of the month where uh, each month kids are being taught a particular hymn that we can introduce maybe one Sunday, they can be taught it at, at home and then, and then come back and sing it again because as kids, they learn a song, they're excited to sing it. Um, but just different ways that you can you can help them to see that, that worship in the broad spectrum of giving thanks to God for all things in life and in the more narrower sense of music and singing um, is something for them to do. Yeah, any other thoughts on that before we move on? Kristen, yes. It is. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's great. So a couple things Kristen said. Uh, one that's maybe easier for all of us to implement than the other. Uh, the, the, the one of, of uh, um, said having, having little script, strips of paper that people can write things they're thankful for, praises to God, put them in a jar, and then you know, later you can read them. That is a, that broad category of worship, absolutely. And then the other thing she mentioned is at home just having worship nights and a particular musical, musical family. Um, and so that might look different than, than a family that just a cappella takes out, even if it's just a hymnal, um, and, and sings. And just kids don't need fancy stuff. They can just sing. Yeah, so good. Thanks for sharing those. A- anything else? Okay. Mm-hmm. Teach them to glorify God. If, if that is the, the ultimate aim and goal of our lives, if 1 Corinthians 10.31 is an appropriate summary where it says that whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, put, putting that before kids, that the ultimate aim is not merely your happiness, although we find our greatest happiness in glorifying God. It's not merely an, an easy life. It's not... Uh, merely friendships, it's not merely money, it's not merely kind of any of these other things, but ultimately it's, we want God's goodness and greatness to be displayed and known in, in my life. That's a, that's a category, I think, that can be somewhat abstract for younger kids. It can be kind of abstract for adults sometimes, but, but we want to just continually be talking about that. Does my behavior, does it glorify God? It's not merely, is my behavior commanded or forbidden in Scripture, although that's an appropriate thing to talk about. Not merely, is this wise? Uh, It's not merely, what will the results of this be? I mean, all those are appropriate things to talk about, and they're perhaps more tangible. But the broader category is, does this glorify God? And the earlier we can talk with our kids about it, the, the more this can be just part of the mindset that we can make more tangible as they grow. Teach them to accept, appreciate, and proclaim the gospel. We're we're not merely trying to create moral people. Um, We we want our kids to know Christ. And we have some of the most significant voices in our kids' lives that way. And that's another Example of, we don't want them to merely hear the gospel at church, in Sunday school, in junior church, Awana, youth group, all these things. We want, want, we want to be helping our kids kind of understand the gospel in, in real life. So to accept, appreciate, and, and proclaim. Skip a couple passages, but Romans 1.16, of course, about I'm not ashamed of the gospel thinking about that even in the context of our own homes. Uh, there's a quote I thought was up here. I'll just read it to you. This is from MacArthur, John MacArthur in Successful Christian Parenting. He says, The gospel is simple and should be presented simply. Parents have the best years of their child's life to explain, clarify, stress, and re-emphasize gospel truths. The key is to be faithful and consistent in both teaching and exemplifying the gospel. What should you do if you think that you're your four-year-old, like they've made a profession of faith in Christ. They, they say they have responded to the gospel in the way a four-year-old does. You're, you've been faithful, you've been teaching them, and, and they, they 
pray a prayer, they say they've trusted in Christ, should your mindset be like, whew, my job is done. Um, no, how should you view that profession even as a four-year-old? What do you think? What's that? I heard a voice somewhere there. Maybe not. What, how should you view that profession? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Same as we would with anybody in the sense we want to cultivate, we want to disciple. Yeah. We, we don't, I think there's two mistakes parents can make. One is to kind of always have a, well, we'll wait and see. You know, even kind of tell, tell kids that, like, I don't know if this is real. I, I, I'm going to wait and see. And it's always kind of with a skepticism. And the other is to say, well, since my kid said they profess faith in Christ, I, I guess they are. They are a believer. And, and where I think a wise approach is to encourage, to, to treat as sincere, and yet also recognize that Scripture speaks of those who say that they're in the light, even as we see in 1 John. They say that they uh, are in Christ, and yet over time it becomes clear that they're not. And it could be that a child um, made an emotional profession that's not connected to reality. They don't really understand the gospel, but every other kid in Sunday school raised their hand, and so they did too, and and so we want to continue to help them understand the gospel and talk about it. And as they get older and have questions, uh, we want to give them space to ask those questions and, and to teach and instruct. And so we're not constantly living with skepticism, but we're also recognizing that it's possible that it's not sincere. And we want to continue to teach and instruct and explain the gospel as they get older while discipling and encouraging uh, along the way. So... Accept, appreciate, proclaim the gospel. And then one more category, though, again, we could have as many categories as there we would find in Scripture, but to understand the, the, the heart of man, and I say this because this is just such a, a, a battleground many times. Some, we, we joke about how many Disney movies, the, the main theme is follow your heart, right? I mean, it's, it, is, it is the unavoidable message in so many things in our, in our culture to the point that it's become a, a cliche. And, and yet what we see in Scripture are things like Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me. Or Jeremiah 17:9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Of Matthew 15, 19, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts. You know, on and on and on, uh, that, that the heart is unreliable and, and so much sin comes out of it. And so the last thing we want to do is follow our hearts. And so that's an example of there's one message they'll get from culture and a different message from Scripture and to help them sort through those, those things. So next week, um, Lauren will do the, the hard work of, about like how do we do this? How do we do this? What does this practically look like? And then when we get to the panel, we'll have more questions. But I want to point out something on that. If you have the handout and you look on the back, uh, there's some ways that you can submit questions ahead of time if you want. There'll, there'll be an opportunity just to raise your hand and ask questions there. But somebody, I think very wisely, suggested, is there a way to, to do that anonymously ahead of time? There might be people that have questions 
that they don't feel comfortable asking in the whole group because then everybody's going to know, right, that there's this, you know, you know whatever it might be. No, we, we just might not want to ask something uh, out loud, but we have something going on. And, and so there's some ways you can submit questions. You can email them, if that's easier. There's my email address. Or you can uh, use your camera on your phone and scan this QR code, and it will take you to a form where you can write in your question, and that will be submitted uh, totally anonymously. An email, obviously, I would know who's sending it, but this form, that way, doesn't capture email addresses or names or anything like that. It takes that from that form, puts it in a spreadsheet that Lauren and I would be able to look at in planning, but it wouldn't have your name attached to it at all. So over the next couple of weeks, if you have questions, please, please submit them. It would help us to, to prepare. So I'm going to go ahead and pray now, and we'll, we'll wrap up. Uh, Lord, I, I pray. I pray that, that, that we, parents within this room and, and broadly as a, as a church as a whole, would be committed to the responsibility of teaching our kids, that we could partner with the church, and we're so grateful for those that even right now are teaching our kids in Sunday school, uh, in junior church, during the services, um, Awana, youth group, mentoring in different forms. Lord, we are grateful for that, and we pray that you would bless those efforts and those volunteers and use all of that. And I pray that we would take seriously the task of pursuing that uh, on our own. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.